Welcome to the show. It's Friday, so that means I'm out, and it's also hashtag FOF, or F-O-F, Friends on Fridays. This Friday, we will broadcast John Zipper's week-to-week show. The program today is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now here's Week to Week with John Zipperer. I'm John Zipperer, the host of the Commonwealth Club's Week to Week Politics Program. You can find out more about Week to Week and all of the Commonwealth Club's many programs, including videos and audio, at CommonwealthClub.org. Now let's join this week's program. Listen, welcome to Week to Week, the political roundtable from the Commonwealth Club of California from Monday, March 21st, 2016. This was the week, this was the day, in fact, in which Donald Trump bragged to AIPAC, the American-Israeli Political Action Committee, that his daughter is going to give birth to a Jewish child. (laughs) You kind of can't play that card with every uh, group you speak in front of, but he has. Listen, thank you for joining us here today in San Francisco. I'm John Zipper, your host for Week to Week and the Vice President of Media and Editorial for the Commonwealth Club. On today's program, we are going to talk about violence and other occurrences on the presidential campaign trail. The University of California's handling of sexual harassment cases. The president's Supreme Court pick, and of course, other political news. As always, I I will note that the Commonwealth Club is a place of uh, people with a wide variety of views, sometimes within the same person. So any (laughs) views that are expressed up here are those solely of the speakers and not of the Commonwealth Club. Now let's meet our panelists for today. I'm going to start on the far end of the stage with Carla Marinucci. She's the genius behind the Politico California Playbook. And you can also catch her on Twitter at cmarinucci. Next to her is Daniel Bornstein, columnist and editorial writer for the Contra Costa Times and Oakland Tribune, soon to be the East Bay Times. <laughs> and he's on Twitter at Bornstein Dan. And next to me is Dr. James Taylor, director of African American Studies and professor of political science in the Department of Politics at University of San Francisco. And by the way, Dr. Taylor will be the moderator for our program on March 29th with writer Thomas Frank right here in San Francisco. So please ask questions. Uh, There should be some cards out there. If not, we'll be distributing some cards and pencils, and I will do my best to ask as many of those questions as possible. Now, on to our roundtable. Let's start, where else, with the Republicans. Um, (laughs) There's been a lot of hand-wringing and condemnation this week over some fighting associated with Donald Trump rallies. Um, James, Trump denies responsibility for the violence. Others, including many within his own party, blame him for inciting it. So what's your take on this? There's no plausible deniability, I think, for Donald Trump. Um, We've seen again and again, uh, Rachel Maddow and others have done a really excellent job of painstakingly showing the pattern of his comments Mm -hmm. that have been provocative, Uh, not just the earlier insults towards different people and segments of the society, but actually at the campaigns, this last act where we saw this ex-soldier or recent soldier, uh, the African-American gentleman just go buck wild punching the gentleman with the red, white, and blue shirt, Donald Trump was speaking as he was attacking him. And he was saying, get him out of here, get him out of here. There's no plausible deniability. And it's stunning to me that he's even, that this is even, that this, what's mind blowing is after we've seen the violence, the media is still asking about the violence. that they're still taking this man seriously after we've seen this. If this was Jesse Jackson, mm-hmm. That's right. this entire, no, every, everyone in this room and everyone in this country would be fiercely offended. But Donald Trump gets a pass on his behavior. Why? I, I have a lot, of, a lot of answers to that. I think one, because we're just very familiar with him. I am. Uh, the, the, you know, Donald Trump is, I grew up in New York. I remember the Central Park jogger event, and I remember Donald Trump made young men when I was younger, mm-hmm. scared to death uh, because he came up with this phenomenon, and the media came up with Giuliani, uh, of wilding, and they claimed that young African Americans were going about committing this kind of uncontrolled violence. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it, it turned out to be untrue in the last six or seven years. The entire debacle was exposed, and Trump and Giuliani and the prosecutors in, in New York have all doubled down as if they did not create... Um, one of the great heinous crimes in American history akin to the Scottsboro Boys. 
1935. That's what Donald Trump is party to, and people are still asking, where is his racism? I just heard him just now on the way in here telling Wolf Blitzer, I'm the least racist person you know. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you know, this is absurd at this point. I have to say, I mean, I think the media is complicit in this. I, 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 I watch this every day. We watch it today. Trump gave a, about a 40-minute news conference there out in front of the old post office where he's changing that into a hotel. He really, he really uh, d didn't get any questions, yeah. any hard questions on this, even though you know, his, his manager there, Corey Lewandowski, is seen on video grabbing yeah. a protester yeah. uh, by the collar. I mean, th this, this just goes on and on, and, and, and he, no hard questions, and a complete uh, pass when it comes to allowing him just full access to uh, to the airwaves for unlimited amounts of time, and whenever he has a press conference, I just don't get it. So okay, Dan, it's question. up to you to defend Trump now. But but here's the real here's the question: We know this is how he's going to behave. We know this is who he is. The question is: Do the protests help or hurt his cause when they show up? You know, I I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one who's sort of when I hear that there were big protests showing up in his rally, I just feel like you're playing right into his hands. Uh, and he wants it he because He wants of it. Bring it on. Is, this is, you know, and, and the best thing, maybe I'm wrong, but politically it seems to me, especially now, the best thing they could do is ignore him. I'm really not convinced that the protests don't do anything but play right into his hands. Because his supporters, his supporters eat yeah. their like stuff that. up. They just totally eat it up. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a good question. Uh, and, and Trump is using this. He's saying, you know, these these Black Lives Matter protesters are trying to block access to my rallies and so forth. It's just ginning up the whole yeah. the whole issue. Yeah. And you know, you look forward and you go, is this what we're in for for the next? Yeah. You know, uh, until November. Yeah. This is what just, we're in for until November. Yeah. Yes. I mean, just. Yes, the uh, answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. This well, kind of yeah. angry, yeah. you know, the, this kind of violence, um, it, it's, it's frightening. It's now, frightening. I, I read an editorial today, and it suggested that the viol an incident, a serious incident, is predictable. Yeah. And you, you rest assured they already have the, the, the responses prepared for what, uh, if A happens, how we will respond in these sort of game models of what will happen. And I, I really do think Donald Trump has taken this country at the national level of politics in places that Rachel Maddow said recently we've only seen at the local level. Mm -hmm. We've seen Huey Long, right, in Louisiana. Uh, we know Father Coughlin back in Indiana. I mean, Donald Trump, Donald Trump is the most recent uh, uh, installment um, of, this, of this tradition. Um, and I'm writing a book right now uh, on People's Temple, Jim Jones and California black politics. Uh, and so that one might be interesting to people here in San Francisco. And as, as much as Donald Trump and, and Jim Jones have nothing to do with each other facially, the more I try to understand Jim Jones and the psychology that was at work here, the more I see that Donald Trump is doing the same thing to this country. Through the power of suggestion, Donald Trump keeps telling you he's great, he's amazing. We're going to be amazing. The wall's going to be amazing. No one's looked at this man's finances. Mitt Romney knows that there's a problem there. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump probably isn't even a billionaire. And we won't even know. Because he's lied to us about everything. What, what has Donald Trump not lied to us about? And I think when you begin to realize that, this man has played, uh, he's playing, I'm teaching over at Berkeley, teaching a class on minstrel performance. And Donald, <laughs> Donald Trump is performing a minstrel. A minstrel specifically meaning what? Meaning basically playing a, a, a role, a caricature. Um, uh, that has nothing to do with him directly, except his own psychological demons he might be trying to, to exercise. But he's certainly trying to appeal to some red meat emotional issues, um, wedge issues in our politics. James, coming back to what you mm -hmm. said, though, about him gaming out mm -hmm. how to react, mm -hmm. didn't we really see that perfectly in, at Chicago, where he canceled it. Yeah. I mean, that no, no event, canceled event, has ever gotten so much yeah. coverage. Yeah. And, and, and has, has the politician ever turned an event, a canceled event, yeah. into such a positive yeah. spin yeah. as mm -hmm. that? 
Mm-hmm. He, he had it perfectly gamed yeah. out. Yeah. See, but I think Donald Trump's inexperience is going to show up. I'm one of the few people I've been consistently saying Donald Trump is not what, what he's being made out, of, out to be. I, again, Donald Trump is leading. He is not one. Uh, Ted Cruz has a clear, a, a better pathway to the nomination than Bernie Sanders does with Hillary Clinton. Um, Ted Cruz has won eight states. Uh, I think nine now, and, and caucuses. And in order to even be in the conversation with Trump, to be a part of the debate, to be a part of the floor fight that everyone's predicting, you had to win at least eight states. And so Cruz is qualified. Kasich is not even qualified to get in to be considered for nomination, and no one seems to have told him that. He's focusing on 1237. <laughs> he should be focusing on eight. <laughs> eight. You have to win eight states first. Then you have, then you have to, and you, at a minimum, to it, qualify to be a part of the floor fight at the brokered convention. So please be clear, eight first, and then you could talk about 1237. Well, isn't he actually hoping for, you know, the, the talk of, we, last week to week we had uh, Melissa Kane give a presentation on, they can change the rules right at the beginning yeah, of the of yeah. thing. And you have a lot of these delegates who are pledged formally to vote for Trump, but if they pass a rule, yeah. which those delegates get to vote on, saying, mm, you're freed. Um, Kasich, but can't they go the other way and say, we now have super delegates on the fly? They, yeah. th- that's the whole thing. They can make any rule, and as long as they can get people to vote, yes. Yeah. You know, that's how the whole eight state things came around, because yeah. they wanted to prevent Ron Paul yeah. from being, right. which was, seems ridiculous, because Ron Paul was a threat to know, <laughs> was not a threat to Mitt Romney. Just think about where, what we were thinking 10 months ago yeah. about how this would play out. It's rare that we ever have a presidential primary that plays out exactly as we expect. But boy, this one, I don't think practically anyone got it right. We were expecting a uh, Clinton-Bush matchup. Yeah. yeah. Jeb Bush, and That's we right. all, I mean, he went nowhere. And then on this stage, I had successive panels, none of you folks, so I'm not blaming you, <laughs> who all said the Republican nominee is going to be Marco Rubio. Right, that's right. They were sure of one it. of those. <laughs> Liberal and conservative panelists, they were all saying that. Yeah. I still thought last week that despite everything else, Marco Rubio would stay in. If yeah, for no too. other yeah. reason yeah. than to continue to yeah. split the vote yeah. to ensure it going to the floor. And I was, I was really surprised. Yeah, well, he's, he's thinking more about his own career in 2020. He's think. thinking more of his career. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, sure that establishment Republicans would try and make sure he yeah. stayed in. The math doesn't... I, yeah. I think one of, the, one of the things that's been interesting to me um, is just how the rest of the world, too, is viewing what we're, what we're seeing. I, uh, I just got back from Berlin where I did mm. a, um, um, a, a symposium that the government sponsored on the American election, and I was uh, amazed that on a Friday night in Berlin, we had 500 people come out and came out. They are terrified about watching Donald Trump. And their questions to us are, what, what is his worldview? What's, what's his global, what are, what are his policies? What, what can we expect in terms of uh, uh, his, his international what outlook? what did you tell him, Carla? <laughs> it's like, yeah, you got me. We, I mean, and, and of course, they're watching in Germany uh, where there's a rise of an anti-immigrant party, Alternatives for Germany party, which just won two out of three uh, local elections there, a real message to uh, Angela Merkel. I mean, so the, the, Europe is watching this election and, and they're, they're questioning is how is it that eight years after you all elected Barack Obama, and yeah. this was a transformation, yeah. that you've got this guy? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but, but we've been schizophrenic like that before. I think Rick Perlstein's work, uh, uh, any, anyone familiar with Nixon Land? He documents the way we had these pendulous swings between the landslide of 64 and then 66 with Nixon, you know, the midterm election mm. that goes back the other way, and then 68 gives us Nixon. You can look at Bush. You see Jimmy Carter. Let me start with Jimmy Carter. You start with Jimmy Carter, and um, what was before Jimmy Carter was Richard Nixon and his scandals, right? Mm-hmm, and then you mm-hmm. end up with the Baptist preacher as a consequence. Right, right. Then you fast forward to George Bush, who comes right after Bill Clinton, who had these moral scandals around Monica Lewinsky and all of, all of the stuff we know about. Um, and then what do we get? The religious uh, evangelical as a kind of balance. So it would not be unprecedented in our recent politics for us to go from the first black president to someone who had a problem, got tongue twisted, renouncing the KKK. That his father belonged to in the 1930s. Right. But remember, the Europeans are looking at this and saying, 
uh, wait a minute, we've seen this movie before, Berlusconi, a uh, rich guy, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I can make deals, I know how to do this, don't worry, you know, uh, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, make America great again is not too far from what Hitler, you know, make Germany great again. I mean, they, they are watching this in Europe with, with chills, and I, and I couldn't believe the number of people who came out to, to ask, I mean, really, is this the road America is going down? And, and you don't, you don't know what. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, Guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Yeah. See, I have have faith, and and I I, I shared this with them in the back room, and they didn't seem to be impressed with it, so I'll see if you guys like it even better. (laughs) But I've been looking just sort of off the cuff at how many people voted in 2008, how many people voted in 2012, in the primaries only, in the Republican primaries. And I think it was 18 million and 17 million, respectively, and Obama won with 131 in 08 and 129 million in uh, 12. So look at the mathematical differences between that 18 and that 17 million and the 131 and the 129. Ultimately, that includes Republicans who also come out eventually for the general election. So what I'm saying is there's about 111, 110, 120 million more Americans who are going to have the final say that have had nothing to say so far. And there's a, I, I assume there's a wisdom in 129 million Americans going in a very different route than the original 18 million did. Okay, James. So let me let me let me disagree. Put, put a question. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you do you remember Obama won in 2008? And do you remember how much punditry there was? that the electoral map in the United States has changed forever. <laughs> that the Democrats, you know, will own this nation going forward. Texas is going blue. Texas is going blue, right, yeah. And, I mean, how many times have yeah. we watched, yeah. The yeah. you know, yeah. that, you know. So, and, and this so year we're I'm talking sure. about how angry white men are the, or, yeah. you know, the, are yeah. going to be the center of the Boy, universe. Boy, I feel like so it's like... back to the future. <laughs> that was 1996, and 92 yeah. was angry, the, the year of the angry woman. Mm. Yeah. So, we're, so, we're so now, we're into, now it's angry white men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Someone from the audience, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go, ahead. No, go ahead. Someone in the audience asks, is there any chance that Trump, if elected, would be moderated by talented advisors and the realities of congressional politics? There's been some suggestion that you're going to see Trump already start to walk back, you know, some of these positions, like the wall with Mexico. Well, maybe we don't have to build it all at once. Maybe we'll do this in installments. Maybe they will uh, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or uh, you know, the uh, Muslim ban on Muslims. Well, he's already started walking. I mean, 
you're going you you will see him because he what is where's his political center anyway yeah. right uh I, yeah, he's I, talking universal health care i mean um, you know and being neutral with israel which is really, you know, Hillary came out swinging at APAC today because of his neutral position. And if you're on the left, you're like, well, I hate Donald Trump, but that sure sounds good. <laughs> you know, universal health care. I hate Donald Trump. He's the worst. He's Hitler, but Hitler's offering universal health care, you know. So, so there are these things that Trump, because he has no moral core, no core, I guess, being a New Yorker, again, I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> no, I'm a New Yorker. When I don't mean New Yorkers don't have a moral core. I don't want to become Ted Cruz. Um, but, you know, uh, but Donald Trump obviously is making appeal into the Deep South. And, and I'm asking someone, again, I'm not inclined to automatically assume race first. Um, but I'm trying to figure out what is the connection between Donald Trump as a New Yorker, brash and everything that is despised by Southerners and the deep southern culture of New York and Northeasterners in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Donald Trump is not, Donald Trump, I mean, Mitt Romney, Michael Dukakis, um, you know, all of the Massachusetts people that have run for president, John Kerry, have been rejected. It was a non-starter when they made an appeal to the South. How is Donald Trump winning down there? Well, do you think it, it, well, so for he, me, he is addressing then those those concerns of the. Well, I think the these people are really in distress economically. Yeah. They've been in distress for over forty years. They've been in distress. Mm -hmm. Just because Donald Trump is their tribune doesn't mean that you know he's not akin to a broken clock but being right not, twice a day. He's not in. A st he's he doesn't convey the Ivy League northeastern yeah, if yeah, you will. Yeah. He's 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 a yeah he's Donald Trump is a is a unique character, mm -hmm. for better or for worse. And he's an entertainer. Mm. And that's, that's part of it. You know, I mean, how do most people know about Donald Trump? They saw him on television. Mm -hmm. How many they, of you have ever seen an episode of... of what Apprentice? Is it? Apprentice? Celebrity, Celebrity Apprentice or whatever. Celebrity Apprentice. You're fired. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and some, someone, in the, again, in the audience asked... Uh, does the Democratic Party also bear a responsibility for the rise of Trump in that they have not addressed those needs yeah, of yeah. those? I, yes. I think in yeah. fairness, and I'll try to be quick, mm -hmm. uh, that if you go back to the Reagan uh, Democrats, Ra Reagan's yeah. appeal, Nixon's appeal, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing, and LBJ made this clear, is all you have to do is throw these people in a, a, a crumb that they are better than the lowest person of color and yeah. they'll be satisfied with their low position. And they'll let you rob them, he says, put their hand in their, they'll let you put their hands in their pockets as long as you tell the poorest white man he's better than the, you know, anything else out there. And I think that has always worked um, to the detriment of the working class white element in this country. What's the matter with Kansas, right? We look at yeah. that next week. Um, what's the matter with Oklahoma that used to be the bastion of socialism in America? But, but let's look. Let's Our, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma, populism, progressivism, that was it. Not mm -hmm. New York and Chicago. Mm -hmm. It was Oklahoma was the reddest state in America mm -hmm. for different reasons. And because of the 60s, the cultural impacts, the disentanglement around cultural feeling, about belonging in America, for many of these people, began to feel unfamiliar. And um, we didn't nurture it in any way. We just assumed they would take care of it. Jerry Springer showed us that they were seriously, um, uh, t he took them seriously. And I don't think we should laugh about that. Uh, Jerry Springer respects them and took them seriously because he understands it's easy to be elitist and look down on people in their predicament. Um, but uh, these people are, when you look at income, you look at jobs, the things that impacted minorities disproportionately are now impacting them powerfully. And I think that's James, a, that's James let's let's look at sort of the politics and you know because on the one hand I agree with you on the other hand there is sort of this political reality it's easy to blame the democrats mm -hmm. but on the other hand the democrats are a, a common collage, collage mm -hmm. even themselves and if you think about politically what 2008 mm -hmm. 2009 Obama comes into office mm -hmm. he's got both houses and he, he can barely put together health care, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Why? Because his own party is splintered. Mm -hmm. and, and the fact of the matter is Democrats, that, that included Southern Democrats mm -hmm. still. Mm -hmm. And the politics of it are still limiting. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, and, and so it's easy to say the Democrats dropped the ball, but the reality is for the last six years, they haven't had any control, mm -hmm. right? I think I think you're seeing now um, 
on the Democratic side, uh, Hillary Clinton has now turned and pivoted toward Donald Trump. You saw that with the APEC speech yeah. that she did today. She was very tough on him saying, you know, this guy wants to negotiate everything. Some things are not negotiable. We've got to have a leader up, up there who, who we know has some kind of core principles. And I think this is where the, the, the trauma comes in on the Democratic side now, because there is a lot of pressure or starting to be a lot of pressure on Bernie Sanders uh, to now turn, stop criticizing Hillary Clinton so much and to start putting that contrast with Donald Trump. Because right now they, they've been focusing on each other. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Sanders at this point, look, he raised $12 million more than she did in the last month. Uh, but she, she now has $30 million she's sitting on. He's got a lot less. Uh, and the fact is that, that, that even Senator Boxer said today, look, uh, you know, the, the writing is on the wall for Bernie Sanders. And that's creating it's, it's kind of interesting to watch on the, on the Democratic side on Twitter. There's a lot of of um, anger among Sanders followers saying, wait a minute, yeah. not so fast. Yeah. Uh, we're not we're not ready to go with Hillary yeah. Clinton yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Carla. Bernie's going to do much better coming West. Uh, the African-American vote mm -hmm. and the minority vote is not significant um, in the West. And I said on KQED a couple of weeks ago that outside of the South, blacks will be different and will be less forgiving of Clinton, of the Clintons for their impact on African-American life through war and drugs policies and welfare reform policies mm -hmm. than blacks outside the South, like in Chicago or you know, New York. They're not going to be forgiving. There's no automatic default Protestant orientation to forgive that you saw, for example, when there was the shooting in Charleston. There was in, before the day ended, that family said, we forgive the shooter. That would not happen in Chicago or New York. There's a whole different priming. There's a whole different priming through the migration process that shows a very differentiated African-American electorate. And blacks in the Midwest are very different than blacks in the South or in the Northeast. And anyone thinking that they are going to all fall in line um, don't understand the African-American voting, the electorate. They're very sophisticated. You have to remember, they first belonged to Hillary before they left her for Obama. They're going back to Hillary. It, it took only a black person, a black candidate of exceptional ability like Barack Obama to even pull the African-American loyal votes away from the Clinton establishment. Mm -hmm. And now that he's off the scene, they're going right back to the default. And Bernie Sanders is up against that. And the millennials obviously are showing signs of supporting her a little bit, but also supporting him a little bit amongst African-Americans. But it seems to me that, um, you know, Bernie's up, up against an um, uphill battle, but, but he can win the West. And if he wins these Western primaries, at the very least, it changes the conversation for Hillary going forward. It's not inevitable at this point. But again, but he's under seems, pressure. He's, he's yeah, more and more yeah. under pressure. But these are all his, her friends. But, these are, I mean, I look yeah. at, they were like, I, I think Claire McCaskill, Barbara Boxer, um, I think four other women, friends of hers that were colleagues and senators are like, Yo, Bernie, get out. Don't mess this up, you know, mm -hmm. by going too hard in on Hillary. Yeah. I think especially when he began to attach Rahm Emanuel to Hillary Clinton in Chicago, um, that's when they said, OK, this can get scary because if he continues this on, yeah. this can backfire on her. I, I mean, taking that into account, she's, she's still won Illinois, which is actually the, that Super Tuesday, the mini Super Tuesday state that I thought he if he was going to steal one, you know, a surprise mm -hmm. one like he did with well, Michigan, that's also that it would it came, be. It came down to the end. Yeah. Closer than any of the others. It, it was close. Except, but except for Missouri. She, yeah. she did win it. Yeah. yeah, Missouri was the one that, you yeah. know, it's, yeah. it, she, Missouri, she but won it the by. But big ones, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But that said, uh, does he, I mean, what are his actual chances going forward? And just for the sake of argument, assume he's not going to be the nominee, what does he want to do? What can he do? Yeah, I think it, it, you know, is he making a VP play or does, is he, I mean, he's really, he genuinely cares about these issues because well, he want to write and, this. And now, the, John, we're going to see, I mean, look, Bernie Sanders is here in California tomorrow uh, in San Diego giving a big rally. Uh, finally, it's come to California. Yay. I mean, this is like, how, when, when was the last time we actually <laughs> saw a presidential rally here in, in California? Uh, Hillary Clinton is here in the Bay Area this week. Uh, she's going to be fundraising here in uh, Atherton and in, in Los Angeles again. Maybe we'll get to see a rally with her also. <laughs> um, but the fact is that now it comes to California. And you're going to see, you're already seeing on the Republican side, too, there's uh, the, the, all the uh, po politics are going on in the Cruz campaign, in Trump campaign. 
Uh, you know, I mean, and and Kasich, who has Schwarzenegger with him, and Steve Poisner, somebody that who... That should put him over right. the top. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That should put him over the top. But the fact is that uh, it's... It, California is going to matter this time around, and particularly on the Republican side, it's going to be fascinating to watch because you can see some of these Republicans freaking out at the possibility of what is this going to do to the down, some of the down ballot races. And it's already in trouble. Yeah. I mean, the Republican, the Democrats have had, the Republicans have had a 30 seat, you know, safe distance between them and the, the Democrats, and now at least half those seats are in play, and they expect all 30 to be in play uh, by November, and they expect that the, the Republicans are on the verge of losing control of everything, in, except the state houses. Um, and Donald Trump has done for the Democrats what they could not have done for about three election cycles going forward. <laughs> no, really, that's really what happened. He has, yeah. he has, he has, he has, he has re- reduced the time that it would take Democrats to incrementally get back those 30 seats or compete for them. And in one or two election cycles, he's put it uh, in play. We'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in progressive talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening, and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community. The spotlight on success and achievement goes to LGBTQI members of the Bay Area who have demonstrated an incredible amount of success. We're very proud to announce that this month's spotlight on success and achievement is Rick Welts. Well, it's been an unbelievable stretch of time, obviously. Uh, Everything the Warriors have gone through this season, really a magical season that ended in a championship. and now to, to top it off a week later with the opportunity to participate in the Pride Parade in San Francisco, it's a, it's a pretty wonderful time. You know, it's been a journey, right? We're all on our own personal journeys, and uh, the last four years has been a remarkable part of my life, but it, it's definitely a part of my life. Uh, you know, the decisions I made four years ago to come out in the way that I did, obviously, you know, I had decided I was signing up for something going forward and being part of the discussion. Uh, and, you know, I welcome that. And this is, uh, you know, for me a real honor to, to be participating in this way. And I guess in, in some ways it, it will be a demonstration of how far professional sports has come in, in a very short period of time. Uh, not as far as our society has come. So I think we have a lot to celebrate. Wow, I, I don't think I have any secrets. I don't think I'm that mysterious. You know, I've got a, a pretty simple life. I like pretty simple things. Uh, you know, I've, I've got a great partner, his name's Todd Gage. Uh, he has two wonderful children, a 14-year-old girl and a 10-year-old boy. I, I uh, got off the parade route, got into a car with them. We drove to Lake Tahoe and I got to watch 14-year-old girls play four soccer games over the course of the weekend and then drive back to the Bay Area. So that's my idea of an exciting weekend, you know, spending it with the kids and my partner and getting to do, you know, the most basic things that any family would get to do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement, presented by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. I want to talk to you about this the day after Election Day in November mm-hmm. and see how close that yeah. turns the out. The question is, though, will, I, will he fire up, the, yeah, will he yeah. fire up uh, enough of his voters? As we know, these, the Republican turnout in some of these states is way higher than it, on the Democratic yeah. side. Uh, it, there's been some suggestion that here in California, he may turn out enough people to even affect the Senate contest, get a, get a Republican into that top two primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not clear whether that's going to happen or not, because I think that will be offset by the Latino yeah. vote here in California. I've already heard uh, uh, some Latino voters tell me, look, I remember having that button that said deport Pete Wilson back when I was a yeah. kid. Now my daughter has the button that says, yeah. you know, dump Trump. Well, there, um, look, at, there know. are two effects, though. Yeah. There's the effect in June, in, in California, if you will. And, and in, in June, this has the effect of really reshaping some districts in terms of top two that were districts where you might have assumed it was going to be two Democrats going to November mm-hmm, or something mm-hmm. like that. And so, so there are, and, and the Senate race perhaps being the biggest one. 
But then there's a whole different calculus of what happens then come November, and there's a whole different calculus of what happens come November nationwide, right? Right. Uh, I'm not convinced. I'll be very surprised if the Democrats manage to take back the House. Mm. I'll be mm-hmm. I'll be shocked. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that would take. Yeah. It would, would take Donald take, Trump. That would take, well, it would take a real implosion of Donald Trump. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we're seeing it. We're watching we, it. But remember, the House seats, the House seats are district by district. Right. And so, so, and they're so gerrymandered. Anyhow, the, the, the one, there, there aren't, are there really enough competitive yeah. seats yeah. Yeah. where that makes a difference There are about, there are about 15 that are, and then there are another 15 that they're, they're they yeah. are assuming if Trump goes forward, he could put those in play, but certainly right now the the, the Democrats are not complaining about Donald Trump. Yeah, he's doing uh, a, a good. But deal would of you harm. agree that it's a long shot that they take back the House? It's a long shot. I okay. agree. Okay. I agree. Okay. I do with that. But um, you know, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But yeah. I do but think the Senate looks better. The Senate looks better, yeah. and I think Senate, yeah, yeah. But the Senate looked yeah. better from yeah. the get go, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. now this really shows what type of a an election year this is. I got a question from someone who who is talking about how. You know, you talk about where, over, you know, the media is talking too much about Trump, and that's all you're talking about. We actually shifted to talk about the Democrats, and we still ended up talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> so um, we're addicts. We know we have a problem, and uh, <laughs> we are working through this. Uh, someone asked, how would Ted Cruz do against Hillary Clinton compared to how Trump would do against her? Uh, would that change any of these dynamics about, for example, the, the down ticket uh, uh, harm that some Republicans are worried about? Uh, you know, I th- but, th- keeping in mind that yeah. Ted Cruz is despised by every other yeah. Republican yeah. In, in the yeah. Senate. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think Ted Cruz would be even more of a disaster really? yeah. uh, uh, for the Republicans uh, because uh, he really believes what he, he believes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he's a true believer. And I think Robert Rice has tried to make that clear. Yeah. But Trump may not be since be serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's it, it's it's so interesting. I, I will say I know Ted Cruz here in California has a ground game going, has a, has a, a, an organization going, so it, it is going to be interesting to watch. Um, uh, oh, Trump ha- has no has no organization really. No. And remember that in, in the, the general election requires uh, a lot of ground game and a yeah. lot of organization, yeah. very yeah. expensive. It, and is he willing to sp- put up yeah. that money? Who's yeah. going to put if, up that money? If, if you just like just look at Trump, just go prior, you know, Republican 2016 Republican primary campaign and just look at the money aspect. You'll be shocked that Trump doesn't have a lot of money, that he has about a million dollars in his account. But that he, he loaned, I think, 27 or 28 million to the campaign. But my point is, there are people like um, uh, Carson. What's the name? Uh, Carson? Ben uh, Carson. Ben Carson. Ben Carson. I can't ben believe Carson. I forgot his name already. Ben Carson. <laughs> ben Carson. <laughs> ben Carson has more money on file right now than Donald Trump's campaign <laughs> does. You know, Donald Trump. But he doesn't need the money. Because the and, and why though? I would because argue the because the national media, media is running the, the campaign free for media him. Media is. Is, he doesn't is, have to pay for the TV time. He doesn't have to pay for yeah. it. Right. He gets it. Right. No, we agree. I mean, he's, the TV time, he's being given a pass on. The, and it's unfair to these other candidates who are having to put out millions and millions of dollars. Even Jeb Bush, I mean, I think he put out about $130 million. Right. Yeah, yeah. And he got a little bit more than, than me. You know yeah, what I'm yeah. saying? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, was, I was speaking with a couple of our uh, audience members before the program about, uh, you know, the, the Koch brothers and, and their network have been talking about raising nearly a billion dollars to try to influence this this campaign in, in the favor of Republicans, and they might see a blowout uh, on the presidential level. They might see a loss of the Senate. Um, it does at least say there are limits to the uh, Citizens United world, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we have yet to see, and I think the other interesting aspect of it is: is there going to be some kind of third party? Uh, Talk about that. Yeah, I heard yeah. Rick Perry being interviewed today and just refusing to to be pinned down as to whether he could possibly uh, be uh, be drafted at the convention. Rick Perry? Um, it's fully possible. Rick he doesn't Perry. know. I mean, there, there, there's names okay, being thrown but, but, around. Condoleezza but, but, Rice. But, but, I mean, they're, they're, the Republicans are, are. There's like a emergency freakout it's, going it's on. It's not so much being drafted <laughs> at the convention, though. But let's let's talk about. 
you know, the, the, this third party or third candidate, yeah, really, because yeah. it's still the same party, if you <laughs> yeah. will, right? Scenario is kind of disturbing uh, uh, how this would play out. You know, it, it, this, this notion that, you know, if you could just grab a, few, a couple of big states, then you throw it to the House. I mean, it, it, this is and, and explain what that actually means. When okay. you're throwing it to the House, you're talking about... The Electoral College? Yes. Yeah, the, 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 the action. So who is voting then on the next president well, of the United States? Well, as I understand it, you correct me if I'm wrong, okay. right? Twelfth Amendment, right? You, you, you get one vote per state. And, you know, this is a really sort of different... And it's amongst the top four, is it, right, that you get to pick? Yeah. And so this... If if somebody could get in and ins- and grab and grab one or two state key states such that nobody gets a majority of the electoral college, remember Clinton won mm-hmm. with a majority with a plurality mm-hmm. of the popular vote, but a majority right. of the electoral college, um, then it goes in the House. So what you really need is a Ross Perot who could actually win a state, a big state. Right. And or two and have a close race between the rest. It, you know, now, of course, the question, you know, I've been thinking this. I mean, you, the, yeah, the, yeah. What the, the dilemma here, I think, for Republicans, some of these principled Republicans and I, I, I Luis Alvarado, a Latino strategist, I was on this panel with him in Berlin, said he's a Republican strategist, said, I will not. There is no way I, I cannot support Donald Trump. Uh, there are Republicans out there who say, based on his, uh, on on his uh, um, philosophies and and what he's already espoused, there is no way I'm going to support him. Uh, and yet, you you see, the rest of these candidates uh, have said uh, he's a fraud, uh, he's a joke. But yeah, we'll support the if he's if he's the nominee. We'll, we'll support him. him yeah. How how does the party come out ahead there? I mean, and see, party as a political scientist, party uh, unity is probably the, the best predictor of electoral victory every four years in the national elections. Party unity, however you define that, um, is probably the best, uh, you know, sort of signal as to which party will win. Um, and I guess if you sort of do a survey of going back to 64, um, look at which parties were the most divided in their primary processes and look at the, out, the outcome. I'm not saying this is a law or a rule, but a, a tendency and a, a pattern. Um, and right now, I've been sort of you know, as a, even as a political scientist, off the cuff saying the, the Republicans are in, in, in for a landslide of, of trouble in November because it doesn't require a lot of political education to figure this out. It's, it's pretty clear that one party is in turmoil. It's pretty clear that another party has two plausible uh, alternatives from the old school uh, DNC and the new school DLC possibilities. That's th- th- the Democrats' fight is ideological within themselves. The Republicans, you've got about four or five different strains of, mm-hmm. of, yeah, of orientations. And how to reconcile those uh, in Donald Trump? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm being very serious. He, he thinks he can, he can mend this. I, I, I don't know if he, I don't, I'm, not, I'm saying I don't know. I, I don't know who they have in their ranks equivalent to a Barack Obama. And this is what I'm suggesting to you. I'm saying that Barack Obama is the X factor for the Democrats, like Mariano Rivera as an old Yankee fan. Like Mariano Rivera was for the Yankees, reliably. I think Barack Obama comes in in the ninth inning against Donald Trump and with Bill Clinton, and the two of them just work Trump, and both of their egos are as big as Trump's, and Obama still has the office that is bigger than Trump. And they will deliver in a way that, um, that I think uh, will... The Republicans just don't have an equivalent. If the Republicans had an equivalent to Barack Obama in terms of stature and status and respect in the in the leadership of the of, of the party, we wouldn't have Donald Trump right we, this way. We would have seen that. He's proof that they have no one that can stop him. The Democrats have Barack Obama, and we've seen him handle Trump at the media uh, party where he clowned him for about an hour and a half <laughs> and, and gave him a new name, practically. Um, and, 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 and Obama won that night. And I do think with Trump, I mean, with Obama and Bill Clinton on the scene, if Bill is healthy and energetic, uh, Trump is in, the Republicans are in real serious trouble. I'm going to leap at that chance to talk about Democrats again. 
Um, <laughs> I actually, we, we, we're going to talk about, very briefly, because uh, we've got other stuff to talk about too, uh, vice presidential picks. And someone in the audience was kind enough to share with us the, the Irish betting odds on Democratic presidential <laughs> candidates. That's good. So, uh, Julian Castro, mm -hmm. three to one. Yeah. Tim Kaine, three to one. Elizabeth Warren, seven to one. Oh, Tom yeah. Perez, seven to one. So, um, no Deval Patricks? No. Not on this list, at least. The Irish don't like them, I guess. <laughs> we'll be back with more here on Friends on Fridays with John Zipperer of Commonwealth Club right after this. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? <laughs> Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side as a unified team of the best fertility specialists guided by the highest ethical standards Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special message brought to you by Weatherford BMW. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.ale. G-R-E-C-A-R-E dot -E com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. <laughs> okay, well, let, let's actually move on. Um, we'll... Meanwhile, who would be Trump's uh, <laughs> vice presidential? <laughs> well, he talked about Cruz. They mentioned it uh, uh, on the way here. Wolf Blitzer asked Cruz, would he be willing? And Cruz was angry. He said, no way. But Donald Trump <laughs> said, you never know. This is politics. Anything can happen. Donald Trump is not going to have, he's going to say, I can do both jobs. <laughs> no, he actually mentioned today that he was thinking about opening up a hotel in Havana already. <laughs> um, wow. This is a topic that cannot in any way come back to refer to Donald Trump, and that is the University of California sex harassment cases. Uh, the UC has been under the microscope for its treatment of sexual harassment accusations, I can't speak, accusations, excuse me, against faculty and staff. Carlo, what's going on? What, what well, are we seeing? Well, isn't it ironic that the motto of the University of California is fiat lux, let there be light. But, <laughs> but uh, there's been nothing but, uh, but uh, darkness and uh, obfuscation, I think, on this whole issue. Uh, the, the, the headlines for the University of California this month have just been not good at all on a couple of different levels. One was the dean of the uh, Law Berkeley School. Law School, uh, Sujit Chaudhry, uh, who resigned, uh, you know, and, and, but remains a member of the faculty uh, after being uh, accused of uh, sexual harassment. This is the second uh, time, second prominent faculty member uh, accused in the last year. There's been a number of stories about how the university has been all over the board in terms of the way they've handled yeah. the cases of some of this, yeah. these prominent... No, I, I teach there right now. ...sexual um, harassment. I, what? No, I'm, t I'm teaching there right yeah. now. And uh, there's a, a one young man who's been accused. And throughout the campus, his pictures are everywhere. And with it was a statement against the u university for taking determined action against this individual. And his pictures are everywhere around the campus with, you know, the mm -hmm. statement that the university has failed. And this young man still walks around the campus. They identify a specific young woman that he allegedly at targeted and continues to be around campus where she is. And they haven't. So I don't have tenure over there, so they can do what they want with me. <laughs> yeah. But I do have tenure at USF, so they can't do anything with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, what, so what, is, who, who's to blame? I mean, is, does UC President Janet Napolitano does she have actually, a grasp of this? Actually, or Napolitano she... has been the one 
sort of voice of sanity to a certain extent in all of this, in that she has said, this has got to stop. If, if there's a problem, it, it lies with Dirks and his administration, yeah. and the administration you see. They, they've totally botched this yeah. from, from start to finish. Yeah, and it yeah, just seems it's, like it's, the, it's the really a, academic stars are given a pass yeah. on this. We've seen this before. Um, and, and, and this wasn't the only sort of headline, UC headline this month. Uh, we had the UC Davis Chancellor uh, who, you know, uh, had apologized for her moonlighting activities. And I mean, this was amazing because, you know, she not only earns 424000 a year as a chancellor, but then she's accepting a $70,000 a year position with DeVry Education, which, you know, being investigated by the feds uh, and, the, uh, and, and as well, get t- getting all kinds of stock options and other things from from a textbook uh, manufacturers. Uh, in this case, Napolitano kind of gave her a pass and said, well, you know, she's done a yeah. lot of other good things. Uh, this was uh, You know, a lot of legislators are like, excuse me, but uh, when was she exactly devoting time to UC Davis when she was getting all this other, uh, it, this kind of a, this kind of moonlighting would never be acceptable yeah. in the private sector, yeah. but somehow uh, yeah. uh, she yeah. she got a pass on that. So uh, I think uh, you know the so, legislators looking at this yeah. and uh, th- th- there's a lot of scrutiny I think on UC right now, and I think Napolitano is getting well. She's saying okay, this this enough of this. Is she changing the rules, or is she yes. saying adhere to the rules she's that we trying, have? She, she, Napolitano is trying to force the campuses to enforce the rules they should have been doing. And she has stepped in weekend before last and, uh, and really lowered the boom. Of course, the very next day, Monday, we find out that the assistant coach for the basketball team has a sexual harassment, is being fired for sexual harassment. Mm-hmm. And you read the report, and it's very disturbing. And what's more disturbing is then the athletic department turns around because there's the second issue, which is did Coach Martin know about this and fail to report it in a timely manner? And that's a little bit of a he said, she said between the victim and him as to what she actually told him early on. But there's another investigation into this. And of course, the athletic department's reaction is, we, you know, we're going to have this investigation and we're confident it will exonerate Coach Martin. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Isn't this a little bit, doesn't this sort of undermine the whole purpose of having an investigation if you're going to declare the victor, so to speak, yeah. going into it. Um, it, yeah. Russia. it, it was it, it was very disappointing. Yeah. It, the day after, or the Monday after, Napolitano had said, we're going to clean this up, you know, course, after the yeah. law school dean fiasco. Yeah, and he remains a member of the faculty. And he remains a member. So, you know, we have, the, we have this reaction on the other front. It's... it's and, and, and see, this is why I think, to bring it back to, to, to elections, I, I think, like, my, no, 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 I don't mean in any, any negative way. Um, in 2008 and 12... What does Donald Trump have to no, do with No, 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 no. In, in He's got a, He will be the best chancellor. Right. In 2008 and 2012, the African-American vote, the African-American vote outperformed every other group in the country twice, and no one expected it. In percentage in, of In the, terms of the number of people who could vote that actually did, okay. their percentage, blacks outperformed everybody nationally twice for the first time in American history. Nate Silva detected it in 12. Everybody else seems to have missed it for the most part. Mm-hmm. But what most people don't realize is underneath was the, I think, resentment around the voter ID laws in places like Virginia, Pennsylvania, um, Ohio, and North Carolina. And you know, for someone like me, my mother's 90 years old and was born in 1925 and escaped the South uh, to get away. Um, and then to imagine that before she leaves this earth, she will be rendered invisible again, was just unacceptable. And I think what most Americans and pollsters did not detect was the black resentment for these voter IDs in 2008, 2012. And I'm using that as an analogy to say, without trying to be condescending towards women, these issues that you talk about, I think women are just sitting back waiting for their turn to vote. I'm not talking about these primaries where you have the most committed, but I think the, 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 the independents and the neutrals, mm-hmm. 
I think when this vote comes out in November, women are going to have the final say, as they did in 96. The 96 election was called the Corvair Mom uh, election. They thought it was going to be Volvo moms, but it was lower white cla mm -hmm. working class women, Corvair moms, who are still in play right now. And I, I really do think um, that you know, this is all in play right now. So going forward. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move on to our next topic then. And that is, again, nothing that rhymes with Trump. <laughs> uh, it's the Supreme Court. Uh, of course, we all know Antonin Scalia passed away. Uh, the Republican senators came out and said, no way, no how, uh-uh, we're not going to even meet anyone you, you put forward. President Obama puts forward uh, Merrick uh, uh, Garland, and uh, they're still saying, no way, no how, uh, uh there are some cracks there. Uh, did Obama call their bluff? Are they calling his bluff? Is this, are they just putting this guy through the meat grinder? Because he is, by all things that I've read, a very nice and very accomplished and very smart guy who is probably still going to be a, a non-Supreme Court judge in, in January. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how much heat the Republicans will take. The polls are showing two-thirds of Americans believe that he should be given some kind of a hearing here. Just about everyone agrees he's one of the most um, qualified men uh, uh, to be put up for this uh, position in maybe a generation. Uh, you know, uh, and people like Orrin Hatch and so forth have spoken so highly of him. Uh, the, the question is, McConnell has said, no way, I'm not even going to meet with you. I, I, I think we're, we have yet to see how this is going to play out. Well, but, the, the, the question is, doesn't matter in the electoral framework. And Meaning, do people vote on this? Do issue? people vote on this? And I, I think the answer is that the, the two extremes do vote on this, mm -hmm. the two, two sides. And, but I'm not sure whether it's going to matter to the swing voters Enough, enough, you know, McConnell's probably doing a calculation that he needs to hang on to his base more than, and that the, the swing voters aren't going to care that much. Whether he's right or wrong remains to be seen, but, but, you know, the polls say, yeah, most people want a vote, but are they going to vote their presidential ticket based on that? Based on that? Yeah. And, I'm not convinced they're going to. If, if that's the case, yeah. is this a good choice, a good pick, or could he have picked anyone? I mean, you might remember the... Uh, no, it's a good pick. It it's a good pick. pick. Yeah. Be be because because if, he, if he picks a... If he doesn't pick a centrist jurist, then that becomes the issue. He's neutral. Any hope of using this for, for as a, a political wedge if you will, to get it through, or at least to bolster, to change turnout in November, is undermined if he picks another Ruth Bader Ginsburg, so he if you will. He took the opposite okay. line. You <laughs> yeah. might, you're all familiar yeah. with The Onion. They had a headline that Obama compiles short list of gay, transsexual, <laughs> abortion doctors to replace Scalia. <laughs> like everything that would annoy the Republican what, senators. It would be interesting to watch if, if Hillary Clinton is elected, uh, whether there'll be some kind of lame duck. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, McConnell but I, already says that if Obama nominates someone now and that person's a holdover into if Hillary or the Democrat wins, mm -hmm. he said he still will not hear that person that Obama nominated. So again, I keep saying, like Obama recently, I have faith in the American people. I have to believe the American people, there's a collective wisdom in the American people that will rise to the occasion to deal with Trump and, and these other issues. If not, then I guess that tells us where we are. Our president is overseas, but like very close by. He's in, <laughs> he's in Cuba. Um, what have you thought about, so did, did you see his press conference? Did, did anyone see the press conference he had <laughs> with Raul Castro? Yeah. This, is, this is going to be a famous gesture from now on. Yeah, that it's going to be called the Obama. Castro tried to people at nightclubs are going to see people they don't like, they're just going to do like this across the club. <laughs> or see somebody at an office, <laughs> meaning I'm not really feeling you. Yes. Yeah. Well, what do you think about President Obama forcing Castro for the first time ever <laughs> to take some questions from press? Amazing. And he did not want to. Castro did not want to. If you, if you uh, get a chance to watch the video clip of it, I mean, it'd be like, Te you know, getting a six-year-old to eat liver or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I, I went to Cuba 
uh, 35 years ago, and and I remember we at that time. I mean, when I, I I watched it today, and it's just amazing because at that time, Cubans were afraid, absolutely afraid, to talk to anybody. Uh, they they immediately started speaking to you in Russian because they assumed that you were Russian. You had to sneak in through Mexico, and of course, you couldn't, you know, admit that you had been there. Uh, and to see what's going on today is just is just amazing. And to watch that press conference was amazing. Uh, it, how how some of these Republicans, you know, the the Marco Rubios and the Ted Cruz of the world, who 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 wanted to put the thanks so much back for tuning in today. For more on us and other programs or podcasts you might have missed, you can head to michellemiao.com. See you all next week.